making this introduction is the weirdest, most surreal thing. Welcome to the Curious Itch Podcast. I'm your host, Evelyn Bainbridge, and today's guest is Yukai Chow. He's a pioneer in the field of gamification through creation of his system, the Octalysis Framework. I read his book, Actionable Gamification, Beyond Points, Badges, and Leaderboards, back in 2016 while researching ways to gamify an online health education startup, but I knew right away that I'd found something special. Let me read you the dedication that had me so hooked. This book is dedicated to those who passionately believe in something and have the courage to pursue it in the face of circumstantial obstacles. We are surrounded by social and economical systems that are designed by others long ago to fulfill their own dreams. But some individuals manage to take a leap of faith, risking social rejection and even persecution in order to create more meaning in their own lives and the lives of those around them. You inspire the world and move humanity forward. I salute you for doing what I continuously strive for but may never fully reach. I hope this book will help you on your journey towards making a difference. Yukai is an author, educator, and founder of the Octalysis Group, where he consults with some of the biggest companies and brands on gamification through the lens of the Octalysis framework that analyzes eight core drives of human motivation, meaning, accomplishment, empowerment, ownership, social influence and relatedness, scarcity, unpredictability, and avoidance. We reference the eight core drives of the Octalysis framework throughout the interview, and you'll have links to everything below in the show notes. So sit back, relax, learn about how Yahoo Answers was almost gamified, how most projects fail, and the perseverance needed to reach success, how to prepare yourself for opportunity, a reoccurring theme, and Yukai even shares how he models these skills to his two young daughters. I just got my galaxy projector like a couple weeks ago and I'm uh, that and my Oculus are my two favorite new things. <laughs> that's very cool. I just got a Oculus Quest too. Did you? I know mine's right here. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I got mine um not that many days ago. Me too. Like I got it on it was my Sunday afternoon. Two days. Yeah. I got mine maybe three or four days ago. Yeah. What have you? And I got the I got the battery pack. Oh, I haven't needed and, uh, a battery pack yet because I'd say like my playtime mm. averages maybe two mm. hours, and then mm-hmm. but I'll pick it up usually twice a day so far at least. Mm-hmm. I got it because uh, I heard it makes better balance too. Like the lap back and forth is more mm-hmm. balanced. Uh, so it actually increases in usability. So that's another reason why, why I got it. That's uh, a good point. And I, I, I usually compare it to the, the Cosmos that I have. That's the HTC one I got because I was helping this yeah. one. <laughs> and then, yeah. So this one has a nifty feature where when you wear it and you want to just look up, you can just flip yes. it up to do, to do things. 
Um, but it's, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of things Quest 2 does better. And, and because Facebook subsidizes it, uh, they lose about $250 per Quest 2. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a better deal for sure. Yeah, that's come up in conversation a lot lately is just how Facebook is able to drive hardware right now because they're able to sell it at a loss, which is something that consumers, we benefit from, that's for sure. But it can also, it's, it puts companies like HTC in a pinch that don't have other financial streams to be able to back these, I mean, R&D products, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, a, it's like the Amazon problem also, you know, when Amazon is so efficient and uh, cutting prices, then uh, local retailers are struggling too. Or any e-commerce, yeah. I always feel a little so, guilty buying books on Amazon, but then it's so mm-hmm. the convenience factor just outweighs kind of everything else. Even though I cringe a little. Yeah, I mean it's it's like that. Uh, you know, it's basically capitalism, right? It's whoever does the job, the winner wins more exponentially. Uh, you know, it's like if you're you know, gold, if you're like a Olympics, right? If you're, you could be just 0.1% better than everyone else and you have a gold and they have nothing or silver or worse. Um, and so all the glories on like hundred, hundred percent of the glories on you. And then everything else is, uh, no one gets to share. So, uh, so people, companies are rewarded for doing a good job and consumers do benefit. Uh, but if you're talking about the supply chain, then, then people think, oh, that's, that's not fair. And the, 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 the ones who do a better job get even better and more powerful and no one can catch up anymore. So it is, it is that trend. How do you think that's going to evolve in the future? Do you think we're just going to adapt to a society that has monopolies or do you think we're going to find a better solution? Yeah, usually I would say the only thing that can that can break that down is is the government. It's the government and it's the government's job to to break that down, right? Because the incentives are all aligned. It's, you know, the the company performs better, makes more money, provides things at cheaper price and consumers benefit. So, there are obviously an ideal will say well, consumers can change that too, right? Consumers can boycott the big companies and and not work with them, which some have, but it's it's not it's I don't think it's ever going to be enough to really stop the monopoly from growing bigger, right? There's plenty of people who hate Facebook, who don't want to Facebook, who want to who want to disable their accounts. That's that's not stopping Facebook from growing. Yeah, Amazon, same thing. There's kind of this point where it makes me wonder, like, should we fight it or just learn how to live with it better? And so it, it makes me think, too, of kind of the journey of how I've followed you. Because the last time, I mean, I, I read your book when it came out, you know, gosh, it was five years ago now. Actionable Gamification was released and you had the Kickstarter in 2015. And it came out in 2016. I didn't have I didn't Kickstarter. have a Kickstarter for for the book. No, no was that for the, I had a Kickstarter for, for OP. Yeah, for Autolysis Prime, the island. That's right. And I think that's when I had found the book, or maybe it was recommended right around the same time because OP was released maybe within 
a year after I had read the book. Um, but then I'd read it, loved it, followed everything, was like, yes, this is awesome. Can't wait. Love this Yukai guy. And then I picked the book back up right around the time of the 2020 election. So it was, I was following Andrew Yang's campaign and I, I was reading your book. And then I, I hopped on Twitter, you know, because politics, you're following it. And then I saw you tweet something about Andrew Yang. And so his, his political solution of, is what this makes me think of. This is, that's the thread that ties us all together. It's like, okay, so what about like a universal basic income where we're taxing these larger monopolies and the goal maybe isn't necessarily to break them up, but to learn how to thrive within this system that is inevitably going to have larger companies. I mean, if we go interplanetary, if we keep growing in population, I mean, we're just going to have big companies. Yeah. So on, on, I, I was going to say, so I'm not an idealist, but I realize I am in many ways. So I'm saying in this regard, I'm not an idealist. I'm very practical. I know, again, we can't stop these companies from growing. And, and that is literally, uh, because it, even if the government intervenes, right, it's a very artificial subsidiary. It's saying, oh, you're doing your job too well, so we're going to force you to have a handicap. We're going to break you down so, you know, the the other kids who are who are not doing as well can just catch up to you, right? It's from a fair competition standpoint, you know, it's kind of unfair. It's basically affirmative action, right? It's for uh, because other companies need the help. and But it's usually... But once you let go, you know, the, the natural forces uh, kind of navigate to uh, to the, the the bigger companies doing good again. So, you know, it, it's just like, hey, is there a way to make other companies compete better without the sub, without subsidizing, without without uh, breaking down the bigger companies? But uh, there doesn't seem to be a good way. So I think that's and. Just like when the sewing machine came out, right? It, it, you know, if you can't use the machine, you're you're at a very big disadvantage. And over time, those people do get replaced. And this is Andrew Yan's thing too. Technology investment is so fast; people will get replaced. Like we can, we can say, "Oh no, let's let's have a movement. Let's not use sewing machines and let's do it by hand. Let's not use the newest technology. Let's do it the old way, an efficient way." But if you look at a historical standpoint, over time. You know, the, the less of it gets wiped out no matter what. You know, when Uber came out, people are saying, oh, look, the Uber's drivers uh, stole all the taxi driver's jobs. So evil, you know, it, it displaces people. And then now they're talking about um, dri- uh, driverless cars. And now they say, oh, look, it's so evil. It's going to re- displace all these Uber drivers' livelihood. So evil, right? And it's just it's just the times, really. It's just how the world works. And um, you just have to figure out, yeah, I think you take it as a given and see it as a landscape challenge and figure out how, first of all, you and your family should navigate in that world. And then if you're a bigger idealist with more CD1, then you think, okay, how can other companies, the other other people in the world uh, really, really survive and adapt to that? But I, I, again, I think it's a natural force that, uh, because all the incentives align in that direction. And I, I like how you say you don't consider yourself an optimist. Because you're right, like being an optimist is turning a blind eye to the rest of reality, and you're you're like an optimistic realist. 
Uh, well, well I, I didn't say I'm not an optimist because I am quite optimistic, but I'm actually, um, actually right. But I've said I'm, I'm not a idealist, but, but yeah, but then I think about it as like, in many ways, I'm kind of like, I, I'm an idealist in a very silly way. Like I, it's, some things are impossible, but I still try because I, my heart is there. I would say you, I see that you believe in people, at, le- at least from my standpoint, I think I see that you believe in the ability for people to improve and create change within their own lives and like the, the world around them. That's how, that's the impression I get. Yeah, I definitely. And I think it goes along with my own story because when I was growing up, maybe because I moved to some new places, I was always the, you know, the underdog. I was the, you know, I remember my, my mother was telling me when we moved back to Taiwan from South Africa, that was third grade. One day after a, a, a test, I ran home excitedly and I told my mom, hey, I beat two people in my class. And my mom's like, oh, so you're like the last third, like last three, the bottom 10%. And, and, but I looked so excited because I, I wasn't the last place, you know? So, so I think, uh, because, and, and I think that's, that's an interesting thing because it ended up being, I, I am, uh, pretty talented, intelligent, um, and so maybe if I was always in the same environment, I could thrive. But because I move so much, I'm always the one that's trying to fit and trying to be accepted. And, and therefore, I just always have this thing where, um, you know, I, I always appreciate people when they, when they give me some attention. Like I used to love going to the doctor and the dentist because, because someone is actually paying attention to me. <laughs> A lot. Most kids hate it. Most kids hate it. But I'm like, oh, look, this person's looking at me, examining me. Is like, oh, like usually no one really cares cares that much about me, beside my parents. It's a good feeling. That's the same with hair salons. Oh my gosh, I could, I could just sit and they could wash my hair all day. And there's, have you seen ASMR videos? The autonomous sensory meridial response, but it's simulating that kind of like care and attention. And it some for some people it'll give you like a tingling sensation, kind of like uh, what is it when you listen to music, synesthesia? I can't remember. There's a name for it, uh, but like it gives you an actual physical feeling of like goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a uh, one thing I'm collecting notes on for potentially a future book. Uh, I, I call it a spine chill moments, and it's those. It's those times where, you know, you see something, you hear something, it sends what they say, they send a chill up your spine. Um, and I wanted to kind of gather all, mo- all the moments that it happens to people and try to find commonalities and see if we can, you know, understand it better and be able to uh, reproduce it uh, in a way. And then it extends to other things like that's the title, but like things like goosebumps and, you know, just any kind of physical reaction uh, to, to, a lot, most of the time, fictional media. Yeah. I had a great conversation earlier today. His name is John Buker. He works at the Joseph Campbell Foundation and big mythologist, storyteller. And we had a wonderful, weird connection. And our goal right now, because this is what we're, I mean, it's so many people are interested in. It almost feels like a like a force in the world, almost like gravity or something like that, that has to do with this 
like sensory information that we're able to pick up and perceive in this world around us that has this real universality to it. You can talk about it like goosebumps or the divine or God or whatever you want. Um, but there's like something out there and we can all, we just don't have a shared language to be able to talk about it. So our goal is to create a lab, like, to create a lab to be able to study it and poke around at it and look at it and try and reproduce it and measure it and define it in a language that we can talk about it. That doesn't just have to do with Mm -hmm. goosebumps or, you know, all the other weird words that we try to use to call it. Yeah. Some people, uh, you know, talking about the eight core drives and how it relates to neuroscience. And we can definitely, connect like for oxytocin, definitely core drive five, you know, being appreciated and uh, dopamine is a lot of core drive, you know, core drive two and six, you know, you have a goal and you obtain the goal. Um, but then epic meaning calling is hard. It's in the sense that, well, let's say someone is right up, is about to sacrifice their lives for their country, right? Usually at that moment, you'd re- re- you don't really have that brain scanner <laughs> and figure out what's happening to their brain chemistry. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just really hard to, replicate that moment in a lab but we could try right I mean. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah in, a, in a lab it's trying yeah it's inspiring people to be willing to give up their lives in a lab is difficult because it's you have to kind of because they know it's you're just in, they're just in a lab because it's like it has to be you know pure and they actually like i always talk about core drive one is about believability right and to to want to give up your life for a higher cause, you need absolute believability and, and obviously absolute epic scale like vision. The core drives. I think uh, that's one of my favorite tools I've picked like that I've picked up from other people as a lens to look at life with because it it just makes sense. And it, it's like living proof that of me, like watching real time that humans create systems. Like a lot of times we take for granted, like all, how, whether it's, you know, developmental stages or, you know, people that have come before us and set definitions to things or created tools for us to use for analysis, like SWOT, right? In business, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. You've created octalysis as a system and a lens to be able to analyze human motivation. And it makes so much Mm -hmm. sense. Um, it's brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I was, I was very lucky to be honest, to, to find the, that framework. You know, I, I have this, uh, fun life goal to make a hundred models or frameworks. I seem to, you know, when you go through some of the 10,000 hours of play, uh, system, you know, I had I seem to have the talent to have visual models and to, to, you know, a few things line up for me in my favor to do that. I think I want to like 30 or something, but I, I, again, I honestly don't know if I can create something as good as the Octalysis framework. And it's, it's funny because in one sense, it sounds pretty, it's like a arrogant statement, like, oh, look how good it is. But then I, in a sense, it's humbling. It's like, oh, like, I don't, I can't beat that. I, I don't know how to make, to make something that's better than that. So I, I'm not that good. It's so, really good. Uh, it's, it really is. Like you can use it for, yeah. I I don't know what you can't use it for. That's the best part is like anytime that you want to apply motivation or you want to analyze a situation where like motivation towards a desired action is required. It's like, boom, there's Octalysis for you. Yeah. 
if someone, if someone tells me their life story, like where they went to school and what they did, I can, I can connect all of that to the A-Core drives. And so I actually thought about it'd be fun to have a t-shirt that's, that has the octagon on it says, I can explain your life with this shirt. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh uh, yeah. I love it. I'd wear it for sure. <laughs> it's like a party thing. It's like, oh, and, and it creates conversation when you go to a new place, right? Like, oh, how does it, how does it explain my life? And it's like, well, tell me about it. Okay. Now you're here and then you're here. You, you went to the school because of your girlfriend. So that's social influence. And then you took this job because it's the most prestigious of so CD2. And then, oh, then you left to uh, go to Africa to, to join a uh, nonprofit. So that's CD1. Uh, but then you saw the corruption and you were disgusted. You left. This is actually a friend of mine who worked at McKinsey and you left because of CD8. So, you know, it's, it's all, you can, you can really just, connect all of them. So it works, it works pretty well. Uh, so pretty, pretty lucky to have some of, but I think you have a good point about people creating systems. I think, uh, Steve jobs, you know, if you read his bio, he says that a lot. He's like, once you realize all the systems are created by people, you realize you can change it, right? You can modify it as opposed to, Oh, this is just how, how it is. And I just have to abide to this, this arbitrary system. Um, so that's why you always challenge the status quo. And I think growing up with different cultures also allowed me to see that in one culture, you think, oh, this is just how humans behave. This is how society is. And then you go to another place, it's everything's different. It's like, oh, what was polite in one culture was is offensive in another culture. And and things just are so different. So, so it allows you to think a bit outside the box. I even like, I like to look at even religions or spirituality, even like astrology or tarot cards as just a system to view life is just something we've created to give us a different perspective. And so I think it's fun to mess around with all of them, right? Not every system is perfect and it doesn't mean you need to take everything literally and factually because they're all just tools to give you information to improve your decision-making. And that's really what I just started like measuring my life by is like, you know, the results of what's around me and then using tools like, Octalysis. I found Octalysis trying to help improve motivation and health and fitness. Then I was like, oh my gosh, no, this is, this is like for everything. This is for my life. This is for a website. This is for a program. This is for an app. This is for, this is a tool you can just apply to analyze and it's effective um, because you can see for, for the first step you do is like you're, you're analyzing the current situation. Like, okay, so where's the motivation being put right now in this current situation, whatever it is, like your life or an app or website, you know, what's being driven. And then you go, okay, so who's actually, who are, who is taking the desired actions? Who do we want to take these desired actions? And then you look at them through the same lens and you go, okay, so what are their individual motivations? What drives them? And then how does that compare to the current situation? And where do we need to increase motivation? And where do we need to de decrease the motivation in others? Like, it's just so good. And then you and then you can do that again to every stage of the process from, you know, introduction to the behavior change to the end desired result. It's wild. And I'm sure, you know, that's my understanding of it and i'm getting to talk to you so Whew. yeah i i pretty much see again i i apply i tell people i apply the octaz on an hourly basis but it's, it's definitely boring everything 
I see it's, it's, it's those eight core drives like everywhere, like you said. So yeah, it's, it's, and it's, it's fun. It's interesting. It's like, it makes life, you know, it's almost like you see a different color in, in, in the world and, and it makes life a bit more dynamic, interesting. Yeah. I like how you earlier said, I'm not an optimist, but I'm optimistic. Uh, you were saying I'm optimistic something. And I think that makes a lot of sense because I realize I think pessimistically, but I feel optimistically. So for instance, I would always see the glass as half empty, but then I would feel like, Hey, but half empty is quite good. You know? <laughs> so, so I would usually immediately, my logic side will go to all the, what's the worst case that could happen? What are the bad things? You know? And then I feel, Oh, that's pretty good because the worst case is probably not going to happen. And if then it happens, that's the worst case. That's fine. Like I can accept that. So, you know, so, so I, 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 I have pessimistic thoughts, but then I have optimistic feelings, which obviously also drive my well, thoughts. Well, that's a, a stoic strategy for dealing with negative thoughts is that one, they exist. Like the worst case does exist. It is a possibility, right? Like the glass is half full and it's half empty, whatever you can measure it 50% of total volume, whatever. And being able to take it down that rabbit hole in a logical way without like getting too self-critical about it, but going like, yeah, it's true. I could hop in the car and I could die. And like, you know, this could happen for real, you know, who knows, like a plane could crash into our house right now. Like we just, we have, there's some, there are things we have no control over and the worst case can happen. And you do need to mitigate against risk but you still have to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and even with that same thought, right? Even if a person always thinks if I go out, I could die from a car accident. I get hit by a car. There's two ways to emotionally deal with it. The, the pessimistic way is, Oh, I'm scared. I'm stressed. I'm scared to go out. I don't want to go out. And even if you survive, it's like, Oh, but the next time I might get hit. Right. The optimistic way of thinking about it is you, you, you realize that you go out and every time you don't get hit by a car, you're like, wow, my life is amazing. I didn't get hit by a car. Right. So cool. And and so imagine like a person just every time they go out, they just feel so happy because they don't get hit by okay, a car. Okay, but I kind of live you know? in that world. So what does that mean? <laughs> that's a good it's thing. Not bad. You know, that's it's not what we're talking place. about. You're a op yeah, you think you logically think pessimistically, but you emotionally feel optimistically and you're grateful for everything instead of entitled. So so that's I think a very unique and, and useful trait actually. Some traits are um you know, people are how they are. Like some people can adjust and change easier, some people mm -hmm. can, but um but you know, I think some traits are more productive, constructive and useful than others, you know, how to deal with life. Yeah. So, so there are people who freak out at every moment and every, everything that could go wrong will, will, will stress, stress them out. And, and a lot of times, sometimes because of that, they will make sure things are hundred percent safe, right? They do a lot of preparation work. Um, and so there is some positivity from there, but they usually, they usually get punished for the 99 things that don't happen already. Like sometimes even if it does happen, the, you know, the, the punishment is not as severe as, uh, just be worried about it, like, like for the whole time, uh, depending on what it is, obviously. And, and some traits are more, just more constructive, more, like you said, productive. Um, they can, um, you know, it just moves you forward in a, in a better pace. For, for me, this is back to, it's, it's all just information, right? So I don't think that there are necessarily any better, I, I want to say player types, <laughs> 
I don't think there are any, you know, better or worse, like character traits or, you know, people or anything. I think people are just, they have, they are who they are based on just so many different reasons and what makes one person, you know, like chicken little, the sky is falling in the right setting as, you know, a risk mitigator in an, a large operation, like with the right team around them, it's a very, very valuable skill to have. And and I think it goes back to business metrics, right? All the way to the Octalysis Process Trade Dashboard, where uh, it depends on your goal, right? Because if you have a goal, then yes, some personality traits are more effective at achieving that goal than others. Um, and and but the goal is defined by a person. So, you know, I, you know, I, I had when I was in college, I had three life goals. Number one was to create a company that uh, started a whole new industry. So before there were computers, no computer industry, before cars, no auto industry. Um, number two was create a positive global impact. And I thought, okay, global just means more than one country and uh, positive, whatever way we measure that. And the third is to make everyone around me successful. Um, now, those were the goals. And at the time, every day of my life, I was thinking, I'm going to spend this day advancing towards these three goals. Uh, then because a lot of ups and downs, some failures and, and all those things, I kind of forgot about those for a while. And then at one point, many, many years later, look back, say, hey, you know, the whole thing I'm doing with gamification, Octalis, like, I'm kind of achieving those, you know, I'm not, I didn't create the gamification industry, but I'm credit as a pioneer in it, one of the earlier ones. Uh, I'm definitely making a positive global uh, difference. And, uh, you know, the, I'm not making every friends, everyone around me successful, but I'm, you know, I'm, it's asymptote. We can never finish that. Just keep going. Um, but, and when I, when it comes to making people around me successful, right. It, the question is, well, what is, what success means? And I'm very adamant about letting them define it. So if, if someone just wants, because the normal way of saying is, all right, let's achieve the greatest you can be in this world, right. Find the best career, grow and, and even change the world. But that's, you know, some people's goals, not everyone. So I said, Hey, if you want to just sit there and watch TV for the rest of your whole life, right, that's your goal. And you can sustain that. Then you're successful. That's fine. Right. The problem with a lot of people is that they do it for three years and they run out of money or five years and they don't know what to do and they're, they're stuck. So they can no longer maintain that goal of watching TV every day. Uh, so that's not a success. Right. But if they can somehow, you know, maintain that goal, then they're perfectly fine. And I don't like, I don't think anyone needs to judge them about the goal they set for themselves. Yeah. It reminds me of, you brought up the other day, Ikigai, because I was asking mm -hmm. you, you know, like, how do I, like, how do I feel good about this? Like every, everything feels good. I, I might, I get to do what I want to do. It's all these things like that line up and that's kind of what it is. Right. And for, there was a time where the things that I wanted to do that were for my highest good and help the people around me was just sit on the couch and play video games for a minute. Just don't do any damage out there. Just chill, you know, and that was perfectly valid and like what I needed to do at the time. And I think it changes. It changes because we change and the world changes and we adapt. Yeah. Like I remember in college when my, when my friends are, um, we're doing some internship opportunities. I, I always remember, oh, if they did something for a gaming company, super cool, super awesome. If they did something for a medical company, super boring, super lame. Right. And, <laughs> a little bit yeah. of judgment, but you know, games, yeah, come on. College students, cause, yeah, cause college students don't really care about 
about those things yeah. as much uh, unless they have you know people close to them that that really need it and it's just like my lifestyle is that uh you know friends who work at advertisement companies it's like oh that's like that's like so really boring too uh, but then as as i get older it's like oh well the you know, the, the healthcare companies definitely are very, very important to make a huge impact in life. And of course, now I'm trying to make it more interesting, quote unquote, less lame uh, for kids, are at least. Are you gamifying yeah. healthcare for kids? What? Uh, no, well, I have, yeah, for kids and for other, pro- a lot of projects. Yeah. So the me and like I always say, the sweet spot of gamification are things that are important but boring, right? So healthcare, education, finance, insurance, all those things. So... Uh, if it's already like entertainment, you know, it's already fun. So the, the, you can, you can apply better game design. You can make it even, even more entertaining and more engaging, motivating, but, um, you know, they're usually okay on their own. What projects do you have going on or that are coming up that you're the most excited about applying gamification to and game design to? I don't know. There's, uh, uh, there's one project that was really exciting to me, but, also made me really sad, which we were uh, brought in to, uh, to help Yahoo Answers reinvent their site. And the, the cool thing about Yahoo Answers is that, you know, even, even these few years, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like not, not so well respected, but it had, you know, it still had, you know, over a hundred million people visiting every month and still one of the biggest, biggest uh, traffic sites, but it just, from Google, from you, just because there's a long history. So I thought, hey, it would be really cool because everyone knows it and everyone knows it's not doing so great. And we have a chance to reinvent and make it fun. And then even through our research, we saw that, you know, compared to Quora and stuff, Yahoo Answers, it's not the place to find truth and knowledge. It's the place to be social and fun, be fun, have fun. I used to go to Yahoo Answers back when I was building the health education company to specifically mm-hmm. look for like misinformation around health. Uh, and so I'm very familiar. Yeah. It's an entertaining place. Like you, yeah. Long reads. There was some of the Q and a is like legend of mind blowing. There's one guy says, Hey, do you know what the song, what's the name of the song that goes like this? Da, 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 <laughs> da, 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 da. Like they just hype D A D A D A D A D A. And then someone guessed the right song. Someone said, is it this song? It's like, yes, thank you so much. I'm like, how does that happen? Like, how do you figure out a song just from the, just from looking at a bunch of DAs at Desired Action? That's funny. It's an amazing place. And there's space for every, there's space for the Yahoo (laughs) answers. And that's, that makes me happy. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. So, so what, what made me sad is that, um, you know, it's the, uh, the Taiwan because Yahoo Yahoo sold Yahoo Answers to Verizon, and and Yahoo Answers um, Yahoo Answers. Uh, I work with the office of Taiwan who was in charge of that, but then the Verizon headquarters um, may or may not gave it enough support, and so before they could launch it, you know, last time I checked, the announcement is that Yahoo Answers is, sh- is shut down indefinitely. Oh, so man. it made me really sad. Yeah, that was a special yeah, place. But we, yeah, but I, uh, yeah, so I'm always wondering, like, can I share the designs I did, like, for five steps through to to OP and whatnot? It's shut down, but technically it's still it, work contracted. Right? I mean, sometimes <laughs> just, like, sometimes you do just have to do it and ask 
forgiveness later if and, needed. And, and 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 this is something. Yeah, sometimes true. The worst is like they say, please, like stop. Right? It's 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 hard for them to say, hey, look, you've you've given you've had millions of dollars damages. They're going after me for oh, right? so. No, because that's true. Because um, yeah. there's the optimist, and it's like it'll be fine. We just do it, and then oh no, wait, there are like people that would just sue you. Yeah. You do have to but, think about yeah. that. Like, yeah, so so you know the sad thing about Octalysis Prime is that all the examples I can show, like the case studies, are either uh, and this is the majority they didn't launch or they're dead. That's why oh, I can show them on Octalysis so Prime, which is very which is very very sad. Or in some very rare cases, it's because that company wants to get publicity. I uh, shared the Nova, Nova Orbital one, the Procter & Gamble one. They wanted to win an award, and they did for the best gamification project of the year. Um, so that they allowed us to share everything. Uh, but most companies, you know, uh, we just can't share. We just can't. We we can't share, especially our work, because I wanted to share five steps, right? Strategy dashboard and, you know, the, the brainstorming and all that stuff. Companies, obviously, that's, that's pretty confidential, confidential information. But then it just, it's, it feels... It, uh, again, it literally feels kind of lame in the sense that it's like, hey, here's how we did the five says, oh, by the way, this project never launched. So, oh, this project, you know, died in this track. So it's, it, it is. I feel like sharing that is so important because like failed projects happen all the time. I, I mean, like maybe mm-hmm. one to two out of 10 of the projects that I'll touch or be part of mm-hmm. will end up, you know, moving forward in the same direction or maybe mm-hmm. it'll stall and pivot or change or that's just kind of as part of the process. Yeah. The, the sad thing is I pretty much all the prize that failed, it wasn't because the design wasn't good. And it was, it was because of operations. Like they couldn't raise the, like a startup couldn't raise the, their next round of funding to, to launch it. Um, or one of, one of the good, good uh, case studies was the, um, Bonaire, so the Porsche loyalty app, um, and that was launched in Austria, and they was they were doing well, and they were expanding to other other European countries. And then COVID happened. I was just and then, COVID happens. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Team critical so, people leave teams. I mean, there are so many different reasons mm-hmm. why projects can stop. Um, you know, the six just talking about the successes isn't realistic because, like, projects that actually like are a success that make the, make it through a long haul that get released to the public get shared. You know, that's such a small percentage of like the total mm-hmm. work that gets done out there and in, in just creating mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is that if it's successful, like I also can't share yeah, it right. confidentiality. So, so that's, that ends up being this, the sad situation where a lot of the case studies I show on OP is like are, are failed. Uh, failed. That's why they, I can't show them. And, you know, I've had this thought like, well, is it a bad social proof thing? But I think, you know, the learning is so important, right? Because it's better that than having no examples, no case studies about how we do the five steps. Um, I love the so, island. Yeah. That's, that's the compromise. It's like stepping into your brain in terms of gamification and it's gamified and like you share so much and you do it through a game like i get to earn coins to like buy a digital copy of your book or get the battle plan spreadsheet and be able to like take the analysis even further there's 
just, there's so much cool stuff like the book recommendation list. And I've got like every single download item on the island. Um, I'm working on the- uh, we should be adding more. There's so much we, we need to add a lot more things, you know, more geomons, more books. I just very stretched. And, uh, you know, I, I am I am pouring my heart into that. And um, and I think it also because it's such a CD one kind of project, or CD three too, just self-expression. Um, it is not optimized for for business because I realize, you know, especially when we try to pitch it, it's like people don't understand it. It's like, you know, we realize, for instance, uh, just like my, you know, Tiago and the company said when he hosts a conference in Brazil on gamification, a hundred people showed up. But when he hosts one for gamification for education, three hundred people showed up. Right. The more specific it is, it's like, oh, this is for me, and people show up. Uh, for OP, I'm, I generally just, I feel like I've acquired a lot of useful things in my life that I think, one, if I learned it earlier, my life would be different, and other people in the world, if they knew this, their life might be different too. So I'm sharing everything I got, you know, from, you know, all this relationship with, you know, some kind of money management and gamification, all those things. But when, when I explain to people, it's like, oh, you know, I don't understand, I don't understand why, you know, you know, what is the scenario where I buy this? But like there are companies out there that just take my Udemy course and they just say, we're going to translate we're going to give the Udemy course Chinese subtitles and we're going to sell it to Taiwanese market. I'm going to sell it for what I think two, $200 or something. And they sold thousands of that. So yeah. So, and, and we, we, we literally know the Udemy course is less than 1% of OP content, right? Yeah. I'm uh, helping do subtitles right now and I'm on like <laughs> the one, one section of the Udemy yeah. course right now. So yeah. Cool. Uh, we have the, uh, we have a paid Descript account. Are you using that yeah, one or are you using your own? Or? Descript. Descript, I've followed them since like their pre-launch. It's so weird because mm-hmm. I don't know. They just seemed like a really cool company. And I was so excited about the thought of like auto translation and being able to edit. It was so fast. So it's cool getting to use it. I've used it on a few other projects. Um, yeah, you, we're using that and I've got all the downloads. I keep trying to convince them like, look, already doing it let me just throw up the fancy captions and you're like no yeah i really i really appreciate how proactive you are and uh and helping on this you know i've people show up and they say hey you know i want to do something and most of them i know like they'll they'll have enthusiasm for a week and then they're gone and then we have to figure out okay well they started it should we just throw it away or should we figure out to continue to find the next enthusiastic person to do another week of this and so uh yeah and and you have you have uh convinced me that hey you probably have uh, a stronger level of commitment and and pushing that through as much as you can yeah, anyway so i always so. try it because i like systems so i, I like mm-hmm. to create things mm-hmm. that can work even if i'm not the one doing them so mm-hmm. you know I'll start it and hopefully we can get more people excited and, you know, increase the more people working on it, the faster it'll get done because accessibility is mm-hmm. just, it's important to me because I work Well, I'm going to school, you know, who knows what I work in. I mean, it's kind of like, how do you define stuff like that today? Yeah. But I, you know, going to school for education technology, accessibility is just always on my mind. And then I, I see it when I'm in these communities and I'm, I'm looking in the comments, like I see how 
important subtitles are for people and just my own use. Like if I'm mm -hmm. scrolling through mm -hmm. something or, you know, I don't always want to have the volume up. It's useful for me to be able to read along at the same time. And um, it's just now with tools like Descript, I, it's like, just got to do it. Got to do it. Got to put subtitles up. So I know I've been bugging you about it for a while. I'm glad you let me do it <laughs> or yeah. try at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, and, and, and I think this goes into an interesting topic about being proactive to, um, you know, doesn't have to be for me, right? But proactively volunteering for things you you care about, because this is interesting. Sir, my my partner Yoris Bierda in the Octalysis Group, so he's now the CEO and we're co-founders, fifty fifty partners in the Octalysis Group. Um, he the way the reason why we even work together is because of that. So he started off as a Dutch diplomat, then he. Uh, became a manager in, at PwC, big, big accounting firm. And he single-handedly brought in a big client, um, which was like, I think about nine or $12 million. And they gave him, uh, like it's his contact and he negotiated, he got the, he got it signed. And they gave him like, I don't know, like a $20,000 bonus for that. And then he's like, all right, I understand. Uh, you know, you guys are the partners and, and I, you know, you get most of the reward, but what can I do to become like you guys being your, your spot. And he's like, oh, you just have to be here for 12 years. So then he feel like he wasn't appreciated. So he uh, went to be a headhunter. And, you know, in a couple of years, he, I think he, he made like a million dollars or something. And he, but he really hated his work. He felt like he was selling his soul for money. So then he semi-retired, moved to Bali and started surfing every day. So it's during this time that he decided, he stumbled upon gamification. He wanted to dedicate his life to it. So he reached out to me and he said, he's willing to do work for me full time for free for a whole year just to learn from me. And, and obviously very few people, like no one, no one could have had offered that before you know, full time for free for a whole year. Says, so oh yeah, sure. Let's try it out. So that whole year. And he was, you know, at, at, at that time he was like, I don't know, 42 to 45, I think. And and he's like, oh, I'll show up to my meetings. And for his time zone, it's like 3, 4 a.m. So he had to wake up 3 a.m. to join my meetings with my clients so he can learn. He was very, very driven. So a year went by and, uh, you know, and it worked out well. So we said, all right, let's start the Octalis together. And nowadays, his wake is making more money than he did when he was a headhunter. And he's enjoying every bit of his work, unlike being a headhunter. So, you know, just that that being just volunteering for what he believed and worked out. And same with Mirta, you know, Mirta was an OP member. She was just had a lot to say about it because she was passionate. Like, Oh, this should be better. This should be better. You know, and she's like, there's too much. Uh, even, even if people are saying like incorrect things, there's too much. Oh, good job. Good job. Even though it's not right. And she feels like there should be more stringent on correct knowledge. And so she's, and said, Oh yeah, if you want to help the for free to do that. And eventually she, as you know, became the community manager, OP staff. She helps design a lot of the interface now on OP. And when uh, one point for Octalis Group project, we we needed more people, and so she started doing that too. So, you know, I think I think just putting yourself in that situation, like, hey, I believe in this. I want to spend time on it, and you know, and be persistent. And people grow into a lifestyle that that they enjoy more. I was just thinking, Mirta would make an awesome dungeon master. Could you imagine? That'd be an intense game of D and D. Like if she was yeah. running it, I'd be really into that. Um, yeah, she's very into the story, the the storytelling, also. Yeah, and you like having a dungeon master that's that level of meticulous. It they craft cool stuff, you know. When they think of 
more challenges than I think other dungeon masters that like play at a more shallow level can. Um, so that'd be, I'd be interested in that. But I mean, that's like what we're talking about, you know, finding success through following your curiosity. Like that's kind of what I want. That's all I really want to talk about is like, look, there's this path to creating a life that's actually really magical. And all you have to do is show up for what you're interested in. Even if it means you're working mm-hmm. for free and you're eating rice and beans at times, like it's so much more worth it than selling your soul in a work environment or a life environment or situation that just makes you feel miserable. Like you just keep following what makes you interested and leave the stuff behind that isn't. And like you get to do weird stuff. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I mentioned that too. Like when I started diving to game creation 2003, you know, it was just a lonely passion, right? People don't believe in it or understand it. There's no industry money to be made there at all. And, you know, I, I truck, I, um, yeah, I truck with it for, I think, uh, let's see what, I think more around 2012 or 13 is when I really had, uh, consulting and income because of this gamification thing. So it, it took a very long time, uh, just kind of working for free. And I did start some startups before that. Um, I didn't get paid, you know, if, even if we raised money, we paid employees. I didn't get paid. I was working a hundred hours a week. And, um, but the nice thing is that even some of the, you know, some startups did pretty well. Some of them failed. None of them had that huge exit at the time. Um, uh, but every time I finished, I did, I grew and I learned, right. And I, and, uh, you know, the investors who didn't invest in my company, I remember they didn't invest, but they always respected me as an entrepreneur. So they became contacts. And later on, when they had their own portfolio companies, they would say, Hey, you can you, can you help them? You know, uh, you know, we just funded them. And so they could pay you for consulting and stuff like that. So, um, you know, just, and I, and I said, because a lot of people can say, oh, like Yukai's life is, is great. He talks about gamification. He travels the world back in the day. And, you know, th- things seem to be all, all very good and, and, and simple. But I think most people would not have been through those, let's say, eight, nine years of just following that passion with, with, no, with no reward, in a sense, no physical reward. And some people might give up in year three or five or eight. And, you know, I, I was also lucky that eventually it did work out for me, but that was not the point. It was that I believe in it. I wanted my life to be about that, uh, regardless of financial reward. And eventually, you know, it, it worked out well. I hope everyone listening, like you get like the, the clues, right? Like all the people and everything good in life is just showing showing up to what you're interested in. That's the good stuff is you just keep showing up for what you're interested in. And it has to do a little bit with like the goal, the intention that you set for where you want to head. Like what do you measure as valuable for yourself and what is successful? And just keep changing and adapting that over time and just keep showing up for it and you know, sometimes, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes the company folds and you don't get paid and, but your employees hopefully do. And God, sometimes the employees don't get paid and that's tough too. Man, I've seen that in construction, you know, or I've heard, heard horror stories in construction, um, about how bad things can get. And I've seen a lot of it and, you know, it's just, 
I don't know. You just keep, what else do you do? Right? Like what, what other option is there? And at least in a life where you're following your curiosity, it's interesting. Yeah. One of the examples I give a lot is, is, uh, when I read biographies or autobiographies of, of very, uh, successful, impactful people, um, you know, oftentimes you'll, you'll notice that there's like moments that are important moments, not sometimes it'll say, Oh, and they, and they joined this company and worked there. Right. And then you one page flip and it says four years go by. Right. And it's like, wait, nothing happened in those four years, nothing important worth mentioning. Right. But then it says four years go by until one day they somehow stumbled upon this note about this club or this event or whatever. And they go and they met a person, right. Or they, or they stumble upon a piece of information like Steve Jobs going to go into, uh, uh, to Xerox park and saw the mouse for the first time. Right. And, and those, that's what they call those pivotal moments, right? These are the moments and that, and that one story be- becomes a whole chapter, right? Like all the little details, like, Oh, who invited them and their first impression and, and all the things that, how they felt at that moment, right? That whole, you know, one page is four years. And then that, that one day could be a whole chapter. And, and it's like, well, if we kind of, like you said, follow your curiosity, right? You go to events, you do new things, you go to, you meet, connect with people with similar interests, you maximize the probability of these pivotal moments happen in your life. But if you just stay monotonous, you, you do everything the same way every single day, you just follow that pattern. You don't proactively follow what, what's curious for you. Um, you know, the next four years might just be that page flip and, and you don't have those pivotal moments that really define your life. Yeah. It's, it's the, you have to prepare for the pivotal moments. That's it. That's the things that the, books skip over is that those four years that were missing was all the hard work and the darker parts of life that the the opportunity to take advantage of the pivotal moment was born from and it's a lot of work to get through those four years and like keep showing up and you keep showing up and you keep showing up and then you show up again and you go to another conference and you you know read another book and you play another video game and you're just like in that in that four years that gets glossed over but you did all that stuff just so that when the opportunity the right opportunity the right time with the right people and all those things line up like you can take advantage of it yeah i think there's always that balance between uh quiet build up and just improving yourself become uh become that strong player for the next game you're about to play and then actually finding that opportunity for the game to show up. Yeah. And so the two lenses or systems that I like to really use that I use every day in life are Octalysis, the Octalysis framework, the eight core drives to analyze motivation and towards desired action. And then story. I use store the story wheel. It's actually behind me. And I, that's how I look at it. You know, stories have beginning, middle and end, and we have all these, pivotal moments and being able to look at life and situations through the lens of story and the eight core drives uh, that has made my life so much easier, so much easier. Yeah. I think having systems, having frameworks to 
understand things is, is helpful. Like, honestly, when, when clients approach me and they're like, Hey, Yikai, we're finding you because we heard you're the best and we want you to solve this problem. When I see the problem, I have no idea how to solve it. I'm like, wow, that sounds hard. How do you gamify SEC compliance training for financial firms? So when, you know, financial professional, when they f- go through hundreds of pages of knowledge that keeps changing, they're like, ah, where's the next one? Where's the next module, right? It sounds hard. And so like, I don't know if I could solve it, but luckily I do have a frame to fall back on. And it's all right, we have a my methodology of a system. Let's just do it. And then somewhere in the middle, it clicks like, ah, this is the solution. This is how we can solve it. And, and it all works out like it all, it all, so far it has always worked, worked out in terms of at least figuring out the solution to the problem. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's the nice thing about a framework it helps. And I always talk about a framework doesn't give you the right answers, right? It allows you to ask the right questions. Um, just like SWOT analysis, like it, it really doesn't give you the answers. You have to answer what is the strength? What is the weakness? What are the opportunity? What are threats? And everyone would answer this question differently, but by knowing what are the questions to answer, you're in a better place. Yeah. It, I mean, you can't, you can't put it any better than that. It's, there is no one right answer, but by using these systems and tools, you can get a right answer or you can get closer to it. And then you can just keep applying it and doing it over and over again and iterating until it fits the solution that you want. You get the desired outcome. Um, and that's, that's a game. That's a business. That's an app. That's your life. That's whatever you want is you just keep changing and adjusting and looking at it through different people's systems and perspectives. And like, so I'm, I'm also in your mentorship program because that's an important perspective. Like being being around you in the group, like that's a tool that I use for analyzing life at large. Like I'm able to learn and just gain from those perspectives. Like that's what that's what having a good environment does and like good skills in your toolbox and good people in your toolbox do is you know, they help you figure stuff out, get the things you want. Yeah. And now that I'm talking about this, I, I suddenly am uh, feeling like a huge emphasis on, on this thing about a lot of life and how well in life is, is asking the right questions. Like how, like if you, based on what kind of questions you ask yourself and, and others, I think that honestly determines uh, the quality of a big part of your life. How do you, how do you recommend that people find good questions to ask? How do you know if they're the right questions? Yeah, I think the problem is a lot of people don't ask questions at all. They go with the flow, right? They do what people tell them. They go with their expectations, right? And so questions such as, wait, what do I care about, right? What do I want to do with my life? Or how do I grow? You know, I think even those questions, uh, you know, how might I uh, figure this out? Um, Like just, just having, I think good questions always push us forward, right? Um, it's more about how can I, uh, get to a better place? How can I do this or, or understand what is, so either understand the direction you're going, what is my meaning, right? What, what should I be doing? So under define where you're going and then it gets you forward. Um, you know, questions like, oh, how do I please everyone I meet? You know, so no one, no one, no one is disappointed in me. You know, that's, that's, that's usually not a a good question because we know 
that's that's already the premise. Like, why why do you need to please everyone you meet? And that's almost impossible. That doesn't lead to happiness, right? Uh, but you could say, well, how do I um, how do I please the people that that are important to me in my life, right? How do I make sure? And, and a better question: How do I pursue my life um, while not disappointing the expectations of the people that are important to me, right? My my parents want me to be a lawyer. They put a lot of pressure in me, but I want to be an artist. How do I continue to pursue my path as being an artist, but not breaking my relation with my parents or disappointing them? Right. That's that's a better question than uh, how do I get out of this mess or how do I just make sure my parents are happy? Well, and that, I mean, then you can go from there. Is it worth my life or the pursuit of my career? to the value of the relationship with my parents. I mean, you, mm-hmm. questions yeah. really are everything. And I, I was definitely the kid that just couldn't stop asking why uh, to mm-hmm. everyone's, you know, delight. But I, I kind of kept that up. Like, I just never want to stop. Like, I, I feel like you can never, you can never, I get analysis paralysis. That's, that's a place I'll get stuck is I can keep asking questions. There's never an end to the questions. <laughs> You know, eventually you just kind of have to think, all right, well, what am I trying to get out of this, though? It, it, it's because the exploration is your game. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's why that's you. why you prepare, because you, en- you enjoy the analysis. That's the game and you don't want the game to end. Yeah. You're intrinsically driven and intrinsic, remember, is experience oriented, mm-hmm. whereas, whereas ex- ex- extrinsic is results oriented. So you you care about the process of thinking about it and exploring it more than the final outcome. Yeah. And back to the, that earlier example about, you know, the parents in law. So, you know, like a good question on that is like, is it more important that I fulfill my parents' dreams about me or my own dreams? Right. And most people at that point is like, oh, of course, my, my own. But if they still can't decide, like, all right, um, 40 years later, who would be impacted more, whether you follow your, your dreams or not? right? Or your parents dream, your parents are you. And then you realize, well, 40 years later, my parents might not be around, but I'm going to have to stick with this consequence of these choices my whole life. Right. And this includes like who I marry, right. Things like that. Uh, and then at that point you realize, yeah, I should probably pursue what I want to do with my life while, and then the next step is again, the, how do I make sure I don't hurt the relationships? I'm as empathetic as possible. I, I can, I, communicate to my parents properly that I want to do this while being adamant of what I want to do. How do you, how do you parent with having this meta level of analysis and, you know, eye on human behavior and motivation and how, how does that impact your, the way that you parent your twins? Uh, Yeah, I think, I think every choice I make every, uh, every is based on, you know, the knowledge they have and how I want to, grow them and have them learn. I think what, what's interesting, I have twins, right? Symphony and Harmony. And they were born with different personalities, like the first 10 minutes in the hospital, just radically different. So this is actually really exciting for me. You know, I, in a sense, I, I thought it'd be great to have identical twins because then that would allow me to understand like 
their DNA should be a perfect match. So every difference they have is nurture, is is environmental, right? Are the triggers? But but you know, I think it's also great that they're so different when they were born, um, because sometimes I have to think about different strategies for for the two of them. And sometimes the strategy, if it works, if it's just that, if it's just one, it will work. But they get to see the the other person, right? And so it may not work anymore if you like if you reward one person with inspiring words and the other with an actual like candy, the first one's like, Hey, I want a candy too. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so that makes the challenge very dynamic. Interesting. I think, I think the important thing is teaching them the right values. Uh, what's, what's interesting is a lot of parents worry about like, Oh, you know, they seem to learn words slower than others, or we haven't taught them this yet. And in my mind, it's like, Look, if if you think when they're in high school they're all going to know this, you don't have to worry about it. Sooner or later they're going to pick it yeah. up. Like there's no chance that they they you know there's almost no chance that by the time they turn high school they can't read, right? They're going to be able to read. So that's that's a given almost. But whether will they have a good personality, right? Will they have good values? That's not a given. And we want to make sure we stress over that. Are we building good characters, like good, you know, characteristics within them and having having good morality, integrity, uh, because they could they could live till their, you know, their whole lives without having these things. Um, parents you know, it's worry. like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, man, you mm-hmm. can just end that sentence there. Like parents worry so much that, you know, about these things about like milestones and did I buy the right books and are they eating the right food and what about a pet and after school activities and all you know why there's just no point your worrying isn't really going to solve much I mean you can look at a situation and go oh is my child getting enough books yes no okay but if you sit there and like just sit in the worry of it it's not really going to do it's not going to do much for you, you know, but right now, like the kids are going to learn how to read They're We've got calculators. I don't know, co, you know, sine, cosine, tangent anymore, but you know, other kids do and other people do, especially if you need to use it. And I've learned things that I never learned in school that have been insanely helpful and would have been really useful to know back then too. And mm-hmm. I don't know, man, people just cut the worrying out. Like we're, we're so we're de- like we're biologically made to learn, and there's yeah. just so much fear I think right now in education and in parenting about like oh no, they're not gonna know. Yeah. <laughs> so so a few things I I teach them that I think is very important. Like one of the key principles is choice and consequence. Um, so literally like when they're way too young, like before they're one years old, I started teaching them about this. And, you know, everyone around me, my, my wife included, is like, oh, they don't understand. It's like, yeah, but you just keep saying it because they don't understand anything and they learn a whole language just by listening to things repeatedly, right? So I will say, like, uh, um, you know, why do you, why do you choose? So for instance, let's say they could get uh, ground or they have no candy or something, bring us it. I'll say, hey, uh, this is your choice because you did this and it results in this, right? And then when I get set up this pattern, I could earlier on I would say, "Hey, you're choosing, you're choosing to be grounded. Like, why are you choosing to be grounded? Because in their mind, they're not choosing to be grounded. In their mind, they're like, oh, 'Oh, I'm choosing to like to yell about what I want.' No, but let's they're say, choosing right? Consequences. I'm choosing. To, yes, I'm saying, why are you? You're, why are you choosing to be grounded? And then I said, you know, you and I. Uh, so, so I would say this and it's, and 
just a few days ago, like they're, they're, they're three and a half now. And then symphony was, uh, like playing on top of the the bathtub and it's a little dangerous. You could fall and say, Hey, you want to be careful. You can, you could fall and hurt yourself. And then she says, no, I won't see. I hold this. I'm fine. I won't hurt myself. And then I said, so that's the other thing I teach them is pattern recognition. Remember there's the time in the living room where you say you won't get hurt and you fell. Remember that you, you know, you some, you sometimes say you won't get hurt, but you accidentally get hurt. Right. So this time you could accidentally get hurt too. And then I said, also, if you do fall down and you get hurt, I'm going to tell you, oh, see, so you chose to get hurt. And she thought about it. She's like, okay. And she got down. <laughs> In this, so I'm working at Synthesis right now, playing games with kids, right? First cohort session. These kids are doing better than most of the adults I've seen play. Five-year-olds, like six, six seven-year-olds. <laughs> and it just makes me really aware of how much we underestimate the the cognitive abilities of young children like they are able to connect these dots and we it's our job to give them opportunities to and to to reflect that language like we know that in a, in a large sense like the vocabulary of a young child is based and ultimately for their life and reading ability will be based on the number of words that they've heard before the age of like it's younger than five i want to say so there's like we have these formative years to be able to take in all this information and it's useful when you talk to kids in like a sing-song voice because you're exaggerating patterns of um, conversation and they're able to pick up on cues but at the same time like totally limiting your vocabulary or limiting what you expect out of a, a child i don't know it's it's not it's not useful like obviously like thank you for the i feel like i just got like a yukai like parenting session yes cool <laughs> so this is really pattern yeah. recognition consequence and oh wait what was the last one i forgot the last one already uh I'm not sure. Well, it's all come combined yeah, together. Yeah. So I'm not sure what was the third one, but, um, another, th like for instance, yeah, another thing I would, uh, I do, this is a similar theme as for instance, if symphony is, is the, she has a temper problem and she usually is the, she, she, she bully her, her twin sister. And so, but I would teach her this logic, right? It's a sequence. I'd say, you know, uh, bad kids, if they grow up, if they don't correct themselves, bad kids grow up to be bad, bad guys, right? Oh, bad people, yeah. bad guys. And then bad guys get caught, get caught by the police because they, you know, they watch these shows and think police are heroes, right? Get caught by the police. They're locked up by the police. Do you want to be locked up by police? Like, no. Right. So I established that first. And so sometimes she's throwing tantrums. She's bullying and say, I said, symphony, your behavior right now. And she's like, like out of control at that moment, right? Like the, like she's, she's, she's yelling at, at, at everyone. And then, and people are trying to calm down, like teacher, the nanny, whatever. And she just doesn't care. And she's just like, I'm mad. Like, get out, go away. I hate you. And she just said, I said, Symphony right now, are you behaving more like a, like a good, good guy or a bad guy? And she'll, she'll say bad guy. And I said, do you want to be a good guy or bad guy? She says, good guy. So you, so I said, okay, so you should probably change your behavior because what happens when, you know, and it depends on the terminology. I said, what happens when, you know, bad, bad children grow up? Oh, they become bad, bad guys and they get locked. It's like, oh, so then she calms down because she understood that, that logic and consequence and she wants to be a good person. And there's an important distinction to make because you're not saying, if you don't stop what you're doing, I'm going to call the police. 
that's not that's not what you're saying you're saying mm-hmm. hey you know that she views cops from her experiences as the good guys and fighting crime and fighting bad mm-hmm. so you're using it as an example to show her you know that the consequences of her actions like who do you want to be how are you acting right now like analyze some pattern recognition and then ultimately like showing her through that's the age appropriate level right like you're you're talking to her in a way that she can understand like you can't tell her you're being evil right now or you know you have to you have to be aware of how you're speaking and and this is important right don't accuse your child. Yeah. Don't say you're a bad person. You're terrible. You're you're stupid or whatnot. Say that what you're doing right now seems more like a bad person, right? What, or you ask you ask them the question, and I'll say, hey, the thing you're doing right now is it useful or not useful? I tell them crying is not useful. Talking is useful, right? And sometimes when they're crying, they're not going to listen to that. But then I ask the other one, you know, hey, is crying useful? And I was like, no, it's not useful, right? <laughs> Talking is useful, right? And I do it for both of them. So they, when they're calm, they understand, okay, crying is not useful. It's not constructive, right? And I said, complaining is not constructive. And I said, you should do useful things, not not useless things. And I always said, make sure you do useful things, not useless things. And I so I create these rules to think about, right? They, if they can, they should do useful things, not useless, not useless things. And then I, there's this bucket. Some things are useful. Some things are useless, right? Talking is useful. Thinking about it. Problem solving is useful. Crying and complaining is useless. And then, and then when they correct the seat, when you complain, did you get what you want? I said, did you, sometimes when they're complaining, I said, is your life much better now that you're complaining? And sometimes they're just like still like just out of control. So it doesn't matter, but I'll tell them, so is your life better now? And I said, I'll wait for you to calm down and then I'll give you what you want. And they come down and say, tell me what you want. And it sounds like, okay, so did you feel like complaining and crying was useful, more useful, or just telling me what you want is more useful? And they'll say, telling me what, what I want. So, and, and oh, another thing that I teach my kids that I don't think a lot of people, um, that a lot of people do is I will kind of have a emphasis. What is the, uh, I'll have a, uh, emphasis what is it suddenly it suddenly escaped my mind i was i was i was preparing that up to talk about but then suddenly um you can tell we're getting close to talked out because like i'm running literally running out of words that's how it'll go towards the end of good conversations oh i oh i, I usually have you know, a million words it's not it's very rare for me but i've, I've just been uh, because a lot of that stuff with my my parenting is is just i don't strategically like map it out it's just the what I think is the right thing to do, so that's why I've having like written down on a piece of paper. So I'm like, okay, what 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 do I do, right? And and how how does it work? Oh, I remember now. I place a high value on self control, like controlling yourself. So literally in my compliments, I would say like, oh, harmony, you know, you're so smart, you're so pretty, and you're so good at controlling yourself. You're amazing. You know, I would always add controlling yourself, and even like and like little storytelling. It's like, oh. You know, this person, you know, this, this, the third little pig is good at control, you know, the controlling herself. I literally, literally, uh, when I tell the three little pig story, it'll be like, Hey, come out and play, come out and play. And the third little pig will say, yeah, I want to go play with you, but I need to go. I need to control myself. I need to, Oh, I, I tell them, I teach them about perseverance. So I need to persevere. I need to persevere because it's important. And so and so, uh, and this is something I teach them like perseverance is useful, right? So 
when when they run and they fall and they hurt themselves, uh, they'll say, "Oh, it hurts," but I'm not gonna cry because I'm gonna persevere. <laughs> Let's just remind again: they're three and a half. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Persevere. So, I can picture. Oh, yeah. How little kids just like. You know, you can see yeah. them psyching themselves up, and uh, yeah. Oh, and also, uh, you know, I teach them that hey, you're you're brave. You should be brave. So brave and mm-hmm. persevere um, are are also along those themes that you know you, sh- you should. You know, you're brave, so so you don't have to. It, it's like when they cry, um, or the words that no, you should be brave. Remember, characters are brave. Um, so so that that tends to be Im- impactful too. Um, yeah, and bravery. Yeah, I think I love yeah. that because being brave means like acting in the face of fear, and fear mm-hmm. can still be useful. Like it can have useful information in it, but does it help you? Is it gonna? Is it useful? Is it gonna get you closer to what you want? So like, take the things that are useful and that the good information that you need to be able to move forward. Like these are these are you're teaching them things that like I. I had to work hard to learn in my, you know, early twenties. Like these are, these are skills that are not like publicly very talked about, or at least they weren't until Brene Brown and other, other people started talking about courage and authenticity. And we have a little bit of a mental health movement and this is, this is good stuff. Like, uh, yeah. I also, I also tell them you're a girl. So you, you need to be brave, you know, yeah. just set, have that identity CD for a bit. Um, and people around me like, wait, being a girl doesn't usually tie into bravery. It's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, right. Why you, not? you, you, you make yeah. them. Yeah. They should believe that they should be like, I'm a girl. So I should be braver than anyone else. Right. And, and, and I made an OP video about also Stolly family pride, like you're part of the child family. So, so you should, you know, do this. So if they tell me, Hey, these other kids don't have to do it. Then I just tell them because they're not part of the child family. You are. So, so they don't have to, you have to do it. So just set that, you know, a bit of that, that CD one family pride, uh yeah so so i'd set that up and and sometimes uh for instance oh there's like monsters i'm like it's okay monsters are scared of the chow family people so they're, they're not here you know so i'm not saying no it doesn't exist i'm just saying they're they're scared of the chow family because we are like we 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 learn how to control ourselves better <laughs> awesome beating <laughs> monsters through self-control yeah. then yeah then and and the last thing i'll share um is about it is also you know sometimes kids will say like i hate you or so you don't love me you don't care about me you don't talk to me right and i'll i'll actually and usually what they're doing is they're baiting for and this some people do their whole life baiting for like oh i do love you i do love you right and sometimes it becomes like this this habit of being manipulative and it actually doesn't lead to happiness um so i will just say that you know you you're lying you shouldn't lie lying is bad you know your mother loves you and you're li- so you shouldn't say things that are f- false. So you so don't lie. Yeah, that is so interesting. I like that approach because I like telling kids the truth, and the truth sometimes is that you're telling a lie. And when kids, in that because of the foundation of skills that you you've given them of self awareness and perseverance, control, and these things, and being able to watch their behavior and link it to the consequences 
you can have that conversation with them. They, that is the truth. They are lying. They can self-reflect. They can pause and think and go, actually, no, I want something different. Like I'm doing this because of this. And that's man, three, yeah. three and a half, three one and a half. One of the funny pattern recognition things I did really recently is so, uh, this is symphony getting upset at harmony. And she's like, I hate my sister. I will never play with her again. I will hate, I will, I'll hate her. And I said, you don't hate her. You love her. She's your sister. She's like, no, I hate her. And I said, well, remember that. Yes. Because it's the truth. I mean, at least it's the truth, you know, but, and she, wow, that's some course correction. Dang. Yeah. her thoughts to a, a constructive conclusion i'm excited about the future because of kids like that like symphony and harmony and all the kids <laughs> i get to work with and man teenagers and young just no. there are some awesome people out there learning things and i think they're learning them because of people like you right or you know even putting myself like a little in that category, just trying to show up and talk about it. Like we just don't stop talking about it and keep showing up. And hopefully the generations after us and after them will keep getting better. Needless to say, I am teaching them the Octalysis framework. So, and I actually cannot fathom what it's like to grow up as a native in this framework, like not knowing a life without having the framework, because I, for myself, I believe if I knew the framework a year, two years prior to, to myself knowing it, my life would have been different. So I cannot imagine people growing up just knowing it by heart. So I love, uh, but this is also what we know, right? Our cause framework is powerful. It can, you can, uh, you can do many, many things with it. So that's why it's very important for me to install a good sense of morality, ethics, and integrity. So you make sure with that, yeah, you know, that, that cheesy line with great power comes great responsibility. It's apparent through your book. I mean, throughout actionable gamification, it's very clear right from the beginning that this is, this is a system that can improve life and is meant and intended to improve life. Not, you can use it in games, you can use it in apps, you can use it wherever, like ultimately, like this is just something that is a useful tool to be able to apply everywhere that you can. And I can't, I mean, if I had, if actual gamification had been out when I was like eight, nine years old, I would have sucked it up. Like that, that's the time I got it, you know, around the time I got a Game Boy and we had, you know, Sega and we were playing games and, and the knowledge that's in actual gamification is so applicable. Like it, it would have been, I would have sucked it right up, right along, you know, what else was I reading at that time? Like Ender's Game or, you know, Harry Potter was about to come out in a couple years and Roald Dahl, you know, if actual gamification could have been like right alongside those books, you know, maybe in smaller sections, but yeah, definitely would have read it. Yeah. I mean, that's what the OP Island is mm -hmm. for, right? It's like, I think, uh, a 11 year old, if they want to, they can consume a lot of content on the OP Island. Out of they curiosity, don't want to just go do you know that. if there are younger learners on the island? I mean, maybe we shouldn't say that. 
Opie Island is a great place for it. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Mike Finney has brought his son oh, yeah. to participate in some of our events, and he yeah, shows those videos to his son. So, mm. so I, again, I'm not saying his son is an Opie member, uh, but he, you know, Mike Finney is passionate about all this stuff too. So he, so he actively shares a lot of it to his son. Mike Finney's neat. I'm trying to say all these people just like we all end up kind of running into each other all over the place. So it's, it's fun. Like not just on the Island, but then uh, like Diana Bernal, like I ran into her on an, another project, totally unrelated to anything else. And I just show up and I'm like, what are you doing here? It's just weird little coincidences. <laughs> uh, you know, that reminds me of the weird feeling I had when I was like in third grade, let's say, and I go to a supermarket and I see a teacher. I don't know if you have those moments before. Yeah. It's like, what is the teacher in school doing in the supermarket? Don't they belong in school? <laughs> I know. I know. It's bizarre. I, I still think it's a trip. Like you're one of my favorite authors, mentors, people out there. Like just getting to sit down and have a conversation with you is like so surreal. Like, I hope I never get used to this life because it's so awesome. Yeah. Uh, again, it's, it's, uh, it's the OP thing, right? I think OP is my vision of trying to be a bit more accessible, talk to people. And I can't, I can't do this for every OP member, obviously. Uh, I think, because you've volunteered to help and participate, I'm I'm able to. I guilted you into uh, it. We can help. say it. I'm oh, just no, it's just, just, it's just like a mutual. It's like like a mutual helping thing. Like I don't take it for granted either. Uh, same with Mirta, right? I gave her a lot of time because she gave she gave gives me a lot of time too. Um, and I and I regularly like there's people who. Uh, uh, who reach out to me online and they want to stab at a meeting. And at the end, a lot, you know, some of them will say, Oh, thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy. And oftentimes I'll say, you know, thank you for your time. Right. I don't, I don't take that for granted, granted. Um, but yeah, it's again, the OP life coaching sessions and all those things. Literally, honestly, it's like, I say this a lot. Uh, it, it almost sounds kind of lame, but but I just, I just want people to acknowledge and recognize. I'm, I'm afraid people won't acknowledge it. Like literally outside of OP to get my time to do anything is really, really hard. Like, yeah. like people have offered to pay a lot of money. So I'm too busy. I'm, I, I can't talk. I'm really sorry, but you know, the thousands of dollars you're offering is, 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 is not something I, I, I have bandwidth to, to take. Um, so, so I'm really just, pouring my, my, myself to OP and trying to be there for every OP member, trying to help where I can. Um, and I wish I, I want, like, again, I'm scared people don't appreciate the realize because they're like, Oh, the guy's doing a sales pitch and he's trying to upsell how amazing he is. And most people, like if they have 10, they sell 50. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like OP is 50 and I try to present it as 50, but most people in the world just, think it's it's too good to be true you know uh, so it's like 10 or 20 or whatever you know when you do so, say it like you'll do uh, annual sales on on the educational island and there's tons like you can join for free and there's a ton of free content and there i mean you i and i i think about like what makes like how do i decide to show up for stuff or how do you decide to show up for stuff or like what's the intention of this because I, that i have to evaluate how to spend time we all do and how I reach out to people. And it goes back to service. Like I am the most excited to be having this conversation because it's, I think it's going to be useful. Like, I mean, one for me, but then most like for anyone that's able to hear this, like your work is so important. And I, I wanted to be able to share it in a way that's 
yes, we talk about gamification and I think that's a lot of what you're really known for, but being able to apply the Octalysis framework to the rest of your life from everything to like how you make decisions in relationships to parenting to pursuing opportunities is so that it's valuable. It's a service that I want to be able to give to others, just like with whatever else subtitles or, you know, the Island or mentoring or creating educational material. Like it's because you're just, we're all just trying to help, you know? That's Yeah. I think, I think the mentality is like, we're just trying to be humans helping another human. You know, I think that's obviously we have a limited time, so we can't say yes to everything that comes our way, but we try our best. And, uh, you know, I remember I once got an email from an OP member who said they were trying to calculate it and there's, there's no, they can't figure out there's, there seems to be no way that we can be profitable with OP. Um, and they really appreciate that. And I'm like, yeah, I think they have it right. That's why we're not profitable. Uh, you know, again, just grading the, uh, and we might make some changes over time, but uh, grading the certificates, right? It takes five, you know, people sent 30 pages, we're giving feedback, right? it takes five to eight hours on one and then people do resubmissions and takes another five, eight hours. And all that stuff is on top of everything else on what their $50 a month plan, you know, it, it's not profitable. <laughs> it's but but we figured like, well, I feel, I feel weird asking for more money to, to say, Hey, let's see how you do. And I'll, but we also don't want to remove it because the CD3, like the applying is the big part. And so we just have it there. Like, again, this has been, uh, the, 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 the grading, the, the certificates has been the most time consuming for the team. And, you know, if we didn't have to do that, we could have made the Island better, more geom, all those things. But, um, so, you know, who knows, we might make changes for that uh, right now. We're saying, Hey, why not include, like, if you want feedback, if it's, pass no pass it's, it's it's straightforward but if you want actual feedback you need to spend chow coins so it's still not actual cash but chow coins so there's a little bit more something to the community make the um the new black tier and make them evaluate yeah. give them make it a tier you can unlock like you are now godlike in your you know abilities and they do all the general feedback and then maybe that can reduce the amount of time yeah. i don't know who knows there, there's another thing um, that's that Mirta uh, brings up a lot, which is because people are high in status on the OP island doesn't necessarily mean they have high skill. Because back to the literature, like one is there's performance driven metrics and there's labor driven metrics. Having high status could mostly be la- like you spend a lot of time on the island and learning, which is great. It does. It doesn't mean you're the pundit. You're it, it, like, for instance. Uh, it doesn't mean that we'll hire you in the Octalysis group, right? And may- maybe someone is in purple, but they've displayed a lot of a lot of great knowledge, and and they win a design challenge. Then we we might hire them, right? And so, but I mean, that sometimes people with higher status, uh, when they communicate, they talk as if they're always right because they have a high status on the island, uh, but in fact, the things they say are not correct. So, so you know, that's. Those are things the community manager worries about, right? Things about, oh, well, how do we make a community that's more mutually supportive? No one's arrogant. No one feels they're, they're amazing. And also no one thinks their skills above what they have. So, so we actually, because of that, some features were turned down because like we wanted to emphasize some of the status more. And Mira says, no, we don't want to give even more glory 
to the to 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 you know silver or gold or or black status, uh, so that they think they know all the answers. But it is what it is, which is people dedicate a lot of time. They grow. It's respectful. People should acknowledge and give credit to that. But we're not going to say, oh, because they're black bears now, they can judge every how good is everyone else's work in that sense, basically. I caught another Geomon like just within the last couple hours. I'm on the island. Like I can't believe how much I actually go to the island. Like that's the great. It's a learning <laughs> platform, and I love learning. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I go back just to like get coins and see if there's a Geomon in my trap. And like that reminds me, like I need to set another trap for a Geomon. Uh, and I'm yeah. going to like. I mean, I mean and, and 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 it's like that's the thing. That's the CD seven, and that's part of the island, which is you don't just read about or learn about the principles. You 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 experience this first time. Like you play games, so you know how this stuff works. A lot of my audience, again, they're people who never play games, and and I, I've given this example for they, when they read the book, they're like, oh, I see how gamers would fall <laughs> for these things or be attracted to this, but I would never, like, serious prefer like me would never do it. And then they realize they're coming on, like, four times a day just to just to open Chow Coins and and, awesome. and capture Geomons. And they realize, oh, yeah, these core jobs work on everyone. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you just have to look yeah. at, like, the user demographics of, like, Farmville to realize, like, we're all susceptible to games, like, well-crafted games. Yeah. Back in the day, you know, when we first launched, you can collect chow coins. It doesn't buy you anything. You can spend chow coins. And I just tell people, hey, Save you know, them up. it's totally option. It's totally optional. You don't have to do it. Uh, you can't do anything with it right now. But just know that if you do it, it's because of that scarcity CD six and seven. You're only allowed to do it once a day, so you feel like you should do it once a day. And then the CD seven is like, oh, there's a little bit of that that oh surprise ding 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 kind of thing. So so understand that's what you're going through if you if you decide to open it every day, All right? And and so again, I, I I believe in that transparency of like, hey, explain exactly what's going on when you're when you're going through it. Ooh, I love that. I mean, now I just now I just want to go to the island. So I feel like this is a pretty good place to wrap it up. Like, let's all just go to the island. I I, I don't even know the URL because it's literally bookmarked. Uh, yeah. Well, if you type octalysisprime.com, you'll get it'll, taken it'll to take the right URL. I'll make sure. Yeah. I pull it. I'm pull, I'm pulling it up right now because I can't. Just talk, I got to set a trap. Yes. Some people, some people just have it always open on a tab. So I can't uh, do that because then there's always like music in the background. Like, where is that yeah, music yeah. coming from? Like, yeah, t- you can turn off the music, but then you won't have then music have for music. some other. So yeah. yeah, we we have a new design that's is suggesting to have people adjust the volume of both music and sound Ooh. effects. So it might so it might uh, come out at one point, but it's not a high priority yeah, right I'm now. Just like, Coin. I got collect coins and they're over here. Yeah. The, the big problem is that it does drain computer resources. It does, yeah. So it does, it's, it isn't relatively intensive. And uh, that's the thing about being a, a thing that runs on the browser. Like we looked at comparables. It's like, hey, look, a lot of games can be run on browsers and it's not as crazy. So why, why do they run? I would ask my technical team. And said, but those games don't have to embed videos in it also at the same time. And apparently when you have videos, like that are embedded and uh, you know these graphics and animations, it it it's it's very hard to make it not intensive. Yeah, that's a always a challenge with educational technology too. You know, when you're designing any sort of online learning, you know, more than likely you you need video. 
and how do you store and go through all these videos and there are you've got like almost a thousand unique videos on the island um and they they range in length you know some of them are intro trust me because i'm going through them right now some of them are like a minute long some of them are you know hour plus you yeah. know lectures what per, what per, what percentage are you at in terms of content consumed um i don't know is there a I way i think there's a way to I yeah i think there used to be a way to check it at least i bet there is uh it might be in your in the video log in the log his history log. I know I- that was like three years ago. I I never need to go check that know, out. Right? So I'm going on the island too now. The only thing I don't like is that I I don't my the password won't save on the site, so I have to type it in every time. But then sometimes the coins will pop up for it's you know just web stuff. Oh uh, yeah, because that's the caching. Mm-hmm. So if some things we want to process on your side, some things on the server. So uh, yeah, that's another technology issue. Um, hmm. I'm like, all right, that's enough. You guys, see you later. I'm going to the island. Bye. Let's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then and then the next thing you next thing you see is my face again. I know, right? Oh, so if you, yeah. So here's a, here's the place when you open the companion on the right bottom, yeah. it says EXP log and it says 20 you know, percentage of videos. 26. Watched. 26. Right. So you're quarter there. So yeah, that's where you find it. How much do you get to now, see? Know, knowing, knowing that you are a quarter into it, does that make you did you see that you saw that mm-hmm. 26 yeah 26 percent right? does that does that make you feel like oh there's still so much that's 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 uh demotivating or do you feel like hey that's great there's there's still like three-fourths left motivated because i'm an explorer right and i'm a completionist yeah. so but i also know there's such a large catalog and that's also why i pushed so hard for subtitles is because i know i'm going to be watching the videos anyways and I like to be mm-hmm. really strategic with how I use my time and the projects that I take on. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be watching all these videos anyways. And, you know, when you're doing transcriptions, you need to listen to all the videos. So I, I, that's, that's my plan is that's how I'll get to 100% and help put subtitles on and double up my work is. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, these days video upload speed is slower to like produce production. I want to wrap that up soon, but it's just been slow these days. So you have, you have, you have some time to catch up. Yeah. And it's one of those things that's like, I, I don't think it'll ever reach hundred percent. You're continuously updating it and it evolves and I'm excited. Maybe this will eventually be like a virtual place we can hang out in with our headsets and who knows? Maybe. Maybe make use of our of our quest too. Oh no, no! By, by then, it's probably like quest nine. Yeah, right. Oh my gosh, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I want the next version. Yeah. You kind of get yeah. out of and here. And I do have to run. Yeah, please do. Yeah. I appreciate you so much. I this is awesome, and it'll be one of the first interviews released because yeah. you are so foundational yeah. to my life and growth on this path with Octavius Prime. Yeah, and I will say that. I really enjoy our conversation. You know, you should, mo- most of, you know, I do a lot of 
podcast interviews too. Most of the time, oh, 30 minutes or 45 minutes up. See you later. Let's wrap up. But but I, I generally enjoy our chat, our conversation. And I, I look forward to working with you a lot more. Um, you know, maybe there's more opportunities together in the future. So uh, we could explore that sometime. Yeah, we'll just keep showing up for it, man. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Say hi to I really can't believe I got to spend almost two hours talking one-on-one with Yukai. He was incredibly generous with his time and what he shared, but if you visit his gamified learning platform at octalysisprime.com, it makes sense. That generosity just seems to run in his blood. He is prolific with sharing knowledge and supporting others on the path to learning. You can access a lot of the learning material on the island for free, and the paid account at $50 a month includes weekly live group coaching on gamification and professional growth, a private Slack channel with a book club that I'm usually able to make the meetings to. You can find me on the island and I even have a high enough level there to gift 50% off the normal $50 monthly rate for the island and his private mentorship program. If you find me on there, Evelyn Bainbridge, and let me know if you want, I'll pass that discount on to you. I hope to see you over on the island at octalysisprime.com.